want to say just how thankful my wife and I are for this congregation. We, we feel very loved and very supported, and uh, we, we are very, very excited to be here for years and years to come to minister to y'all and to be ministered to by y'all. Uh, it really is a true privilege uh, to be your pastor. If you would, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. As we do so, let me remind us, it's always helpful to uh, remind us what are we doing. Well, preaching is whenever God sends a messenger to his people to call them to live in light of heaven. Uh, we don't need a movie uh, called Heaven is for Real to tell us that heaven is for real. We have God's word. And every single time we hear the preaching of God's word, we are reminded that the reality of all realities is that for those who are in Christ, heaven is to come. And it's that topic that we're looking at this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that right now, somewhere within the fold of space, you are walking around bodily in that glorious place. As we are in this life on this side of heaven, we seek this morning to hear from you. That as we hear from you, we might hear some of those faint echoes of the joys that our fellow brothers and sisters are already experiencing with you. That you, Holy Spirit, would this morning make us feel so near to the next life that we would long for it. Lord Jesus, that we would long to see your glory. Would you help us to loosen our grip on this life and on this world so that we might long for the next where we will truly experience your beauty and holiness and majesty in both body and soul. We know that you use your word to, to grow us in that way, so would you do so now? We ask all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Are you heavenly minded? Are you heavenly minded? At one point, Spain had controlled both sides of the most narrow part of the Strait of Gibraltar. And at that narrow part of the two land masses between Africa and Europe, there was a huge marker called the Pillar of Hercules. And prior to Christopher Columbus's voyage in 1492, that pillar contained uh, three Latin words chiseled in stone that said, Ne plus ultra. Forgive me if I am not pronouncing that right, my Latin people. 
but it means no more beyond. No more beyond. Isn't that often the way we live life here? Often, certainly unbelievers, but even Christians, we often can live like there is no more beyond this life. What are you most focused on? And are you focused on the right things? Are your priorities in line with God's priorities? If I could say this, I think the greatest problem with the modern church today is our lack of having biblical priorities. We, not talking about just our church or even just me, but I I think we in the modern America church today, the greatest problem is our lack of having biblical priorities and we tend to focus on the wrong things and we emphasize the temporary over the eternal and it does make me wonder for my own life this has been convicting this week but certainly for all of us I wonder what might happen in Stillwater if we had churches and ministries where we focused on what mattered most that we lived in light of the greatest reality to come In Corinth, where Paul is ministering, where, where, where he, he had been there before, now he's writing a letter. When he went there, he went to proclaim the gospel, and he was saying before this, he's saying the gospel is so great and it is so glorious. But the people of Corinth were saying this, if your gospel is so great and so glorious, why is it not impressive? Why are you suffering so much? Paul says this, essentially, because this is what God uses to prepare us for something infinitely greater. That actually, when God uses our suffering, he prepares us for heaven itself, where we behold the glory of God. That's why Paul says in verse 16, so we do not lose hope. In other words, we don't grow discouraged and we don't give up even though we suffer because we know that something far greater, far more majestic is ahead of us. As God spoke through Paul to the Corinthians, he is also speaking to us and what he seems to be doing here is really two things. He seems to be encouraging us But he also is trying to wake us up. And that's what I want us to look at. As we look at each verse, how we're going to apply it is how God encourages us, but also how he wakes us up. You need to start at verse 18, though. Look at verse 18. Paul says that how does this inner renewal happen? How How are we prepared for the eternal weight of glory? Verse 18 As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Paul is saying, we don't lose heart, we don't grow discouraged, because we look to the unseen reality. What does he mean when he says, as we look? That's a big phrase there. That phrase, as we look, means to keep your eyes peeled on something. It means to not stop doing that thing. 
I remember the second time I ever went deer hunting, and you got to say hunting without a G. And uh, me and several of my teammates from Tulane, we went to one of our friend's farms one weekend, and we went hunting, and me and one of my other buddies, we were kind of in the kind of region, our fields were side by side, and so he dropped me off first, and, and then he started to kind of make the trek to his deer stand, and he said before he even got to his deer stand, he just heard this, pow! And thinking, what in the world just happened? And I actually came running back, and I was just sitting there hanging out while this big 100-pound doe was just sitting there in the field. And he was like, how did this happen? Uh, matter of fact, I, th- I thought this, is way, this seems way too easy. This happened within like five minutes. I don't think this is how this works. And one of the things that had been drilled into us beforehand is this. If you, for one moment, if you take your eyes off the field, a, a deer can come in and go out. That's actually one of the tiring things about deer hunting is because you can be there for hours not see anything, but you're just looking at everything, and all the noises you hear are just squirrels. The idea that Paul is giving us here is to be peeled on something, to be focused on something, to give it your greatest attention. When Paul says that, when he says, as we look to the things that are, not the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, Paul's saying this, in other words, this inner renewal, this preparation for heaven, this not losing heart, it doesn't happen unless we look to the heavenly reality. It doesn't happen by default. Paul is saying that it is inseparable to our preparation for heaven that we already be looking. He puts it in the present tense. He says, as we look, not as we once looked, or as we will eventually look. He says, as we look. In other words, he is saying presently, always, the way of life for the Christian is to be heavenly minded. Actually, some scholars say that this looking to Christ and the glories of heaven is the very cause of our not losing heart, the very cause and result of our inner renewal and our preparation for heaven. In other words, it's not going to happen when we fail to look. This matches exactly what Paul said actually in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where he says that we're, when we look to the glory of Christ, we're being transformed into his image. It's that same principle. In other words, Dear Christian, what we can say is this, that heaven is formed in you the more you look to it. Christ is formed in you the more you look to him. And by the way, there's no such thing as heaven without Christ. But also at the same time, there's no such thing as Christ without heaven. So as we think about the glories that are ahead and Christ who is what makes heaven heaven. As we look amidst our suffering, we are being transformed. Paul says what we don't look at, he says we don't look to the things that are seen. Now here's what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that physical, tangible, material, earthly things are bad. He's not saying that. What he's meaning is that the order or the age in which we're in 
is so cursed by sin that it is going to be passing away and a new age is going to be ushered in. In a lot of ways, what we say is this, the new age has already been ushered in, but its fullness is yet to come. So that's why Paul is telling us, don't be so focused on this age that is going to eventually fully pass away. Be focused on the new age. Matter of fact, what Paul actually told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, he was saying that the resurrection of our bodies on the last day is for sure. We're actually going to enjoy the glories of heaven bodily. Even in the time when when we die before the last day comes, the body and soul will be separated and we will still be enduring the infinite joys of heaven. But eventually on that very last day when Jesus comes back and everyone is judged, there will be the great resurrection day of body back to the soul. And you will experience it. So Paul is saying, look forward to what's coming. It's your reality because you are in Christ. And that's exactly one of the problems that the Corinthians were having. They, they were very distracted. They were thinking about which celebrity pastor to follow. They were thinking about whatever was the worldly wisdom of the day or trying to gain religious power or they were so obsessed with whatever platforms they could get. They were very worldly minded. They were very obsessed with worldly success, even sexual gratification. They were certainly obsessed with whatever my rights were. They were focused mainly on outward spiritual gifts and earthly glory and being liked by the world and their earthly home and looking impressive and rules and regulations. Paul's calling them back. He's calling them to say, focus on what matters most. Because when you don't, you miss the point. How similar to us today. It is good and it is godly to make sure we, <laughs> we love God and glorify and enjoy Him in this life. We must. That is the Christian life. And wherever God puts us in our careers or families or homes, geography, wherever it might be, all of us are called to glorify and enjoy God there with those people. But also at the same time. Knowing that something much greater is yet to come. And I think too often, and it's unfortunately happening even in Christian circles today, too often are we more obsessed with our careers, material things, whatever's on our phones or even the news, and we think that that is the all in all. In this age of modernity, or the postmodern age, whatever you want to call it, what we are constantly being told over and over and over again is this. All that your five senses, all that they sense, that's it. And you're being told that over and over and over. And no wonder so many young people, whenever they finally become the next meme or joke on YouTube or they make such a public mistake... It is no coincidence that suicide rates are rising higher and higher and higher because they feel like this is all that there is. So if I mess up once, it's over. The gospel tells you otherwise. Come on now. The gospel tells you otherwise. The gospel believes not in second chances. Christ has already done it. We don't need another chance. He's accomplished it for us. 
This is not all there is to our lives if you have Christ. So what do we look at? Well, Paul says we look to the things that are unseen. Now, we need to remember this. Unseen doesn't mean unreal. I'll give you an example. You can't see love. You see the effects of love, but you can't see love in and of itself. Christ is the embodiment of love, and God is love in and of himself. We see him by faith. God is invisible. Eventually, we will see Christ bodily. But none of us would go around saying, because we don't see love, that love doesn't exist. None of us would say that. There are so many unseen realities that are more real than anything else we experience in this life. And it's proclaimed all throughout Scripture. And what Paul is saying is, focus on those things above all. The reality of God. The fact that heaven does exist, and it's right through the veil, even though we can't see it now. That there are angels worshiping God right now in glory, along with the saints who have gone before us. That there is going to be the resurrection on the last day. That there will be final judgment. That our bodies and souls will eventually be perfected. And that there will be eternal happiness. It's for sure. Paul is saying the Christian does not delay thinking about these things. But rather, one of the ways in which we see true Christian growth is more and more of a desire to know about these things. Matter of fact, we can say this, the unseen things are more real than the seen things. Because the unseen things will never die away. They will only become experienced more and more and more. It's our sinful nature that hinders our sight of these things. And ultimately what we see, what is the ultimate unseen thing? It is Christ himself who is all in all. Amen? That's what Paul says in Colossians 1.18. He says, Christ is preeminent. And that's great because for the Colossians, Paul's getting a lot at this same theme. He is telling them, don't get distracted from what matters most. And that's why he tells them in Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And then he says this, set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. He's not saying literally like, don't think about your job. He's not saying that. But he's saying everything you come across in this life, view it through the lens of the next life to come. Every relationship, every way you serve the church, every family Thanksgiving meal or whatever it might be, that heaven, dear Christian, is your ultimate reality. Paul's telling the Corinthians, what you need to focus on most is the cross of Christ. You need to see that God works through the preaching and the reading of his word and way more than just some physically outward dynamic speaking way. You need to focus on being spiritually minded and understanding that your bodies now are God's temple and it's preparing you for the holy of holies to come. 
You need to focus on spiritual success. You need to focus on purity and holiness. You need to focus on Christ-like love. You need to focus on actually learning to be dependent on God amidst your weakness. You need to focus on what a godly marriage is and being a unified body in the church. You need to focus on orderly worship and the resurrection. You need to focus on biblical maturity and giving to the kingdom and godly character, the sufficiency of the grace of Christ, and certainly equipping yourself for the life to come. That's what Paul's saying. And God would be saying that to us too. But how do you look? You have to ask that question. How, how do you look? Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says this, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. We have to be born again by the Holy Spirit to have this strange but true spiritual sight, which is really faith. But when we're born again, how do we grow in looking at the kingdom? It's through the means of God's grace. That's why our church is trying to really stress being very involved in the means of grace. Because it's the means of grace that grow us into heavenly mindedness. It's one of the reasons why we keep promoting the four course meal. Because this diet helps us to grow and genuinely Heavenly mindedness. Other churches have their own whatever course meal. I think John Calvin had like a 10 course meal for their week. But certainly the idea is this. The more we partake in the means of grace, certainly God is making us more heavenly minded. I want to encourage us with this truth. Because suffering is difficult. Suffering is difficult. There are those of you who are recovering addicts, struggling addicts. Those of you who are in the midst of chronic physical illness or persecution for what you believe or maybe even plaguing depression or spiritual anxiety. But when God uses these circumstances to make us look to Christ, he is reversing the curse in us in that moment. No matter how difficult our sin might be, no matter how difficult our suffering might be, in the midst of those moments when we look outward to Christ, he is transforming us. Amen? And God is absolutely undefeated in reversing the curse. In other words, looking to Christ in faith, even if it's just the smallest thing, it never leaves you the same. It never leaves you the same because Christ is too holy and beautiful and glorious. That means, brothers and sisters, your suffering has a purpose. Did you hear that? Your suffering, no matter what it might be, it has a purpose. Now, this doesn't explain everything about our suffering, but we do know that in our suffering, God is at least always doing this. He's always convincing us that there is more grace in Christ than there is sin in us. Amen? 
He's always helping us loosen our grip on our idols. He's always strengthening our faith and our hope in Christ. And he's always granting us more of a longing to be with Christ in heaven. How God uses suffering is often, uh, it's often similar to like these, a lot of these cars that we have in our home. And they're these little toy cars, not big cars because uh, that'd be prosperity gospel. Um, these little toy cars. And whenever you pull them back, they shoot forward. So even when you pull them back three inches, they might go 15 feet. No matter how bad suffering might be, and it is hard, and we'll talk about it in a second, there is far more glory to come. It's not like God, if, he, if, you, if your life was a glass of water and your suffering empties you a certain amount, that he's going to fill you back up just that amount to get back to normal. That, Christ is way more valuable than that. As you look to the things that are unseen and you see Christ, no matter how bad your sin and suffering is, there is far more glory for you. Amen? But I think we also need to have a wake up. For those of us who can struggle with spiritual laziness or even those who are unbelievers. John Owen says this, to allow our love for Christ and spiritual things, to allow those things to grow lukewarm, is of all things that which the Lord Christ is most displeased with, both in churches and in professing Christians. If an infinitely good God loves you, and if he loves you with an infinite and eternal love, then doesn't it speak more about our depravity when we become bored with that? And I think what this shows us is that we are either severely led astray or either even not spiritually alive at all. And this is why I love the old hymn that says this, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Brothers and sisters, the motivation for us to look to the unseen things is this, is that no matter what sin you might find in yourself, there is always greater grace in Christ. Amen? No matter what suffering comes into your life, there is always greater joy in Christ. No matter what loss, there is always greater gain in getting Jesus himself. And no one understood this idea more than Jesus. Because no one experienced more loss than Jesus. Matter of fact, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us now here's how how do you run looking to Jesus the founder of our faith and the perfecter of our faith now listen to this Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross 
despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What got Jesus through the worst suffering that this creation has ever seen? Heaven. And in the context of Hebrews, it's this. The joy of him thinking about spending heaven with you. Amen? But what happens as we look to the unseen things? Look back at verse 16. We see that as we look to the unseen reality, we are renewed within. Paul says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. What, is, what does he mean? What does God mean when we're talking about our outer self? Well, there's a couple different ideas. I don't think that neither one should be excluded. One idea is that uh, it's the fact that our bodies belonging to this current age uh, that will be fading away. So we, we, we experience that as we go through suffering. We, we feel ourselves breaking down. We feel ourselves falling apart. Another sense is that it's talking about the, our old sinful self. But I think we could use both of these. It's our sin and our suffering that is wasting away as we keep looking to heaven. Once again, Paul is not saying that the body is bad. The Christian life is not about escaping the body. But when he says that the outer self is wasting away, it's actually the picture of ships that are being destroyed slowly or moths that are eating away at clothing very slowly. And don't you feel that? Don't you feel that in body and soul? You feel that wasting away. Because when we suffer... We understand that this can be a reality, (laughs) physically. uh, When Knox is sick, it's sometimes really funny because he'll say, I need God. It's so sweet. But then he'll also say that whenever he's trying to go to sleep because he doesn't want to go to sleep. I began to understand this a lot more when I was going through Guillain-Barre back in 2021 when my body was literally breaking down. Some of you understand this because you've had cancer or even heart issues or very difficult surgeries or even just overall, you just notice yourself physically slowly breaking down. Others of us know this pain mentally, emotionally, debilitating depression, anxiety, PTSD, bipolar, schizophrenia, or even Alzheimer's. Relationally, we feel this. Maybe you've been through a divorce, or you're a widow or a widower. Even with your children, whether by their death or relationally. You feel the same thing with your parents, your neighbors, your friends. I had a friend when I was at Tulane who was from Egypt. And uh, she was saying that if she became a Christian, her family would treat her like she was dead. That's a loss. Even spiritually, we can feel ourselves, the outer self, wasting away as we struggle with spiritual warfare or that anfektungen, that 
Luther talked about, that, that, that debilitating, plaguing shame and sinful fear that just seems to follow you around like the Charlie Brown rain cloud. We feel ourselves wasting away. But what's amazing about the gospel of grace and being unified with the risen Christ is that God can and does use all these things to make us look to Christ. And as we look to Christ, we're being made more glorious than we could ever imagine. That's what Paul means in Romans 8.28 when he says, For those who love Christ, God is working all things for the good of those who love him. Amen? Don't doubt that. Don't, don't be doing this whole thing. And, and I hope we don't do this as a church. And I'm not saying I've heard this. I just, I've seen it in other places. Particularly when I was in youth ministry, I used to sometimes have parents say, well, you know, my son was broken up by his girlfriend, and, you know, he just needs to get over it. Okay, sure. Uh, but for him right now, in that moment, that's a big deal. And that's a time when we can come alongside someone, whether it's a hangnail or whether it's Guillaume Beret. Whether it's someone on their deathbed or someone who goes through a breakup. All these things, when we look to Christ within them, he's making us new. Amen? And that's what a gospel-centered church does. Is that we come alongside people in those moments and we help them. Because you can't do this on your own. We help each other look to Christ. As we do so, Paul says the inner self is being renewed. The soul, the, the heart is being renewed and sanctified. We're waiting for that glorified body. As we are in union with Christ and the Holy Spirit dwells within us, God's at work. Death cannot hinder his process. Your sin and your suffering does not intimidate God. Because Jesus Christ conquered death, he conquered Satan, he conquered hell, he conquered sin. What is he afraid of? He knows what he's doing. And he works within us as we just simply, as it were, look to him. It says we're being renewed. That word means to make something new. And what's really cool is this. It, there's different words for the word new in the Greek. Uh, if I can just nerd out with you for a second. But I think this is a, a point. There's one thing to say, I'm getting something new, meaning another. But it's another thing to say, this is being made new. That's the word Paul's using. It's not that there's a different you out there that you're eventually, your soul's going to be united to that body. Then Paul's making you, I mean, excuse me, God, whew, uh, God's making you new. He's not making you a different self, he's making you new. Amen? And it's in the present tense as well, meaning that as we look to Christ, this is always happening, no matter what might be in our life. I think this is so awesome because it kind of reminds me how... Uh, Sometimes what, what will happen when a tornado comes through 
is that there's a lot of destruction, but actually very interestingly, it can also, because of so much wind and uh, just the destruction of it, it can till up soil and spread out seeds and even at, in strange ways over time renew vegetation. Isn't that, isn't that wild? Even whenever you work out, you know how your muscles get stronger? It's actually, and I've mentioned this before, it's actually by these micro tears. It's actually by breaking down that you get stronger. I couldn't help but give this, but you know what makes a brisket absolutely amazing? You know where I'm going. I'll let that sink in. Even this, how do we grow in, in, in knowledge and wisdom? Actually, by being challenged. Do you not see that the whole world is, is preaching this to us, that God loves to do positive things even when the negative seems to be apparent? Don't you see it? God loves to do what we think is impossible. He loves to bring glory into our hearts even when it appears like everything is awful. And that's exactly what Christ purchased for us. He purchased it. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you with this. It means this, that no matter what is happening in your life, as you look to Christ within those, you must remember God is always at work. Amen? We, we, we actually, that's one of our church's presuppositions. <laughs> it, it, it's one of our foundational beliefs that no matter what is happening, God is always at work. Especially when we feel like it's the opposite. So even when you're just laid low because you see your sin and your guilt, but what's so strange in those moments is that when the Holy Spirit makes you yearn for Christ and to search the scriptures to say, there has to be a true word for me in here, do you realize in those very moments, though they're painful, he is strengthening your faith. He's actually making you look to Christ and that's transforming you. Even when you're rejected by others for holding to biblical ethics. You're looking to God to grant you continued courage but also love. And as you do that, in that very process, God's growing you. Or even when your body is literally deteriorating. And you're asking the Lord to sustain you, to help you. Or to get you ready to breathe your last. He is at work in those moments. We also need a wake-up call. <clears throat> I do think it speaks to our age when we can see sometimes people can give two or three hours of their day to a hobby or even Netflix or social media but can hardly give five minutes to searching the scriptures. Or we are often trying to solidify our earthly legacy rather than thinking about the heavenly reality. We can pay more attention to the intricacies of our physical face in front of the mirror rather than paying attention to our souls in the mirror of God's word. We can make more detailed plans uh, for ourselves and for our families for Saturdays than we do for Sundays. 
We care more about physical nutrition than we do spiritual nutrition. We care more about physical money and materials that, uh, that we can leave those for our children rather than raising them up in the faith. We care more about recognition within Christianity rather than true godliness. We do need to hear that. It's hard. But there is a great motivation for us because even when we need a wake-up call, it never means that Christ has given up on us. Amen? Dear Christian, what I want you to, to hear is this. Do you know that no one is more eager for you to be in heaven than Jesus? You heard that right. No one is more eager for you to come to worship than Jesus. No one is more eager for you to pray than Jesus. Jesus, in John 17, 24, he's praying to the Father. and He says, Father, I long for these whom you have given me. I long for them to be with me in heaven. And yes, he sees you with all your sin. But he longs for you to be with him. And no one is more excited to greet you at that exact moment when you enter into glory than Jesus. That's why I love Song of Solomon because it's such a phenomenal book that at its core is looking at the relationship between Christ and the church. And oh, it's so great. You see the bride in the Song of Solomon where she just defines herself. She sees herself. This is her identity. She says, I am my beloved's. And his desire is for me. My friends, Jesus' desire is for you. So keep looking. Keep looking. And as you look, he's transforming you. the very beginning I had mentioned how Christopher Columbus had uh, eventually discovered the new world. He went beyond Spain. And after he had discovered the new world, they actually uh, put new coins in circulation that had now a different Latin phrase. No longer did it say uh, knee plus ultra, meaning no more beyond. Now it said plus ultra, meaning this, more beyond. That's what the gospel tells us, that there is more beyond. Maybe for some of us, we might realize it today. Maybe for us, we might live 80 more years. But all of us, one day, if you are in Christ, you will realize that there is glory beyond. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will receive that glory Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that there is the riches of the glory of heaven. Oh, that we would see and behold that even faintly now we can almost, as it were, touch what is ahead of us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for speaking to us through the word. And we're asking that you would grow our longing to be with you. And may that be what transforms how we live in this life.
We ask all this in your name. Amen.